Chapter Six of Bill Bidden Trapper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bill Bidden Trapper by Edward Sylvester Ellis. Chapter Six. Still in the dark. The canoe again. For a moment we stood breathless, paralyzed, and speechless. Then our eyes sought each other with a look of fearful inquiry. "'Was that Bidden's voice?' I asked in a faint whisper. "'I don't know. There it is again.' And again came that wild howling shriek of such agony as made our blood curdle within us. "'It is his voice. Let us hasten to his aid,' I exclaimed catching my rifle and springing out. Nat followed closely, his gun having been reloaded. The cry came from up the river, and toward it we dashed, scrambling and tearing through the brush and undergrowth, like two maddened animals, heedless of what the consequence might be. Several times we halted and listened, but heard nothing save our own panting breasts and leaping hearts. On again we dashed, looking hurriedly about us, until I knew we had ascended as high as could be the author of that startling cry. Here we paused and listened. No one was to be seen. I turned toward Nat, standing behind me, and directly behind him I saw Bidden slowly approaching. "'What are you doing here?' he asked as he came up. "'Was not that your voice which I just heard?' "'I rather reckon it wasn't.' When you hear Bill Bidden bawl out in that way, just let me know, will you? What under the sun was it? I asked then, greatly relieved. That's more nor me can tell. But shoot and skin me if I can't tell you one thing. He approached closely and whispered, There's something else nor reds about here. What do you mean? I asked, although I understood well enough what he meant. I was here once afore, as I told you. And I never heard such goings on then. I've seed the tracks of moccasins all about the traps, but can't draw a bead on the shadow of a redskin. You heard that horrid howl, didn't you? Heard it? I should think I did. Was it you who shot? Yes. The way on it was this. I got on a pretty plain trail and followed it up hereabouts, when I caught the glimpse of a Blackfoot's feather going down through the bushes there, and blazed away at him. I never missed a red in my life, and I didn't miss him. Howsomever, he didn't mind it, but kept on and got away. And just as he went out of sight, that awful yell come. It didn't seem that he made it, but sounded like as though twas all about me. Above and under the ground and around and behind me. Anywhere near us? asked Nat. It sounded just under your feet about. Jerusha! exclaimed the affrighted Nat as he sprang nervously toward me. "'It must have been the Indian, surely, who made that yell,' said I. "'In course, though things are beginning to look queerish to me.' The same look of uneasiness again passed over the trapper's face, and I saw that, although he strove to hide it, he was by no means at rest. Matters were beginning to put on an unusual aspect, and that was the reason. Give the trapper of the Northwest flesh and blood to contend against. Let him know that nothing supernatural is arrayed against him, and he is the last man in the world to yield an inch. 
but the moment he sees something unexplainable to his simple mind, and the trapper is a credulous being, his courage deserts him. He believes that other spirits than those of men visit this earth, and they are his greatest horror. Let's go home. There's engines all around us, pleaded Nat. How do you know? Because I seen one myself. Bidden looked inquiringly at me, and deeming it best, I related the incident given in the preceding chapter. I saw at once his uneasiness was increased. Why didn't you shoot the redskin? he angrily asked of Nat. Why didn't you shoot the redskin? queried Nat in turn. I did. Hit him fair and square as I ever hit anything. But didn't do any more good than I did. I made the infernal imp howl. And I made mine grunt, added Nat triumphantly. There is no need of words, I interposed. Each of you did your best, Nat included. You, Bill, I believe hit your man and mortally wounded him. That yell was of agony, though I can't conceive how we came to mistake it for yours. The dead or dying body of that Indian, I believe, is near at hand. See, what does that mean? I asked, as I detected some red fluid dripping from the limb of a bush to the earth. The trapper stepped forward and looked at it. That's the blood of a Blackfoot, or I'm a skinned beaver, he remarked with a glow of relief at having those strange apprehensions of his removed. Yes, I'm convinced that's Injun blood, added Nat, rubbing it between the tip of his finger and thumb. The blood of a Blackfoot Injun, too. A man's about thirty-two years old, probably a brother to the one I frightened. What do you know about that? I asked. Oh, it's only a supposition of mine. Bidden, I believe, as I just said, that we will find the body of that savage near at hand. Let us follow it. Just what I was going to do, he replied, starting off at once upon the trail. It was easy to follow, as every step was marked by blood, which in many places was dripping from the bushes to the ground. It was followed at but a short distance, however, as it led in a direct line to the river. "'It's as I expected,' said Bidden, turning round in disgust. "'He must have drowned, then. Don't know about that. He's taken to the water to hide his trail, and just as like as not some of the other painted heathen have helped him off.' "'No doubt about that. I've been thinking that some of them helped off that fellow when I was loading my gun.' We might as well go back again, said Bidden. I'm tired of hunting spirits, and I don't know but what we'd better move traps and leave this plague place to em. That's what I'm in favor of. Nat suddenly paused, for Bidden, with a slight shh, motioned us down. We both sank quickly and silently to the earth, while he, in a crouching position, gazed stealthily upstream. What is it, Bill? whispered Nat. There's a canoe coming downstream. We said nothing, and Nat looking meaningly in the water. Skin me if there ain't two reds and a squaw in it, added Bidden, without changing his position or removing his gaze. I could not restrain the singular agitation that came over me at this announcement. Fearing to betray myself, I cautiously arose beside Bidden. Let me take a look, I whispered. Be careful you ain't seen, he whispered in turn as he stepped back. As I looked, 
I saw, not more than two hundred yards distant, the canoe approaching, heading directly towards us. For this reason, I could only see the foremost Indian, though I was positive another, together with the white captive, were in it. I gazed but a moment, and then looked inquiringly at the trapper. He made no reply, but again peered forth. "'That ain't a squaw, it's a white gal,' said he, looking round upon us with an astounded look. "'Shall we rescue her?' I asked. "'If she wants us to, in course. "'You going to shoot them?' asked Nat anxiously. "'Can't tell yet. "'Just see that your irons is ready, and we'll wait till they get out here. "'Don't make no noise till I give the motion.' The trapper stole a yard or two in front of us, where he sank softly down upon his face until only his head was visible. Nat fingered his gun nervously beside me, while I, not a whit less agitated, waited for the canoe to appear through the interstices of the bushes in front. In a moment I heard the faint ripple of an oar, and saw the trapper slowly raising his head and bringing his rifle in front of him. He raised his hand warningly for us to remain quiet until the moment should arrive. I heard the click of my companion's gun as he raised the hammer, and admonished him to be careful. Suddenly I saw the red headdress of one of the savages glittering through the bushes, and before I could speak came an explosion beside me like the crash of a thunderbolt. Almost simultaneously the Herculean frame of the trapper bounded over me, and he exclaimed, "'Who fired that? I'm shot!' Nat and I sprang to our feet and dashed after him. But as I turned, though bewildered with excitement, I looked at the spot where the canoe was seen. It was gone. We dashed up the bank, and in a moment reached Bidden. The excitement was completely gone and he stood coolly, feeling his ear. "'Was that your gun, Jersey?' he asked. "'No, sir. Mine is still loaded. How is yours, Greenie?' Nat lifted his, examined the lock, and looked into the barrel. He had indeed discharged it, grazing the trapper's head so closely as to wound his ear. "'Wonder if that was my gun?' "'Sure, I believe it was,' he remarked, still looking into the barrel. "'Was it your gun?' repeated the trapper, his brow darkening like a thundercloud, and laying his hand upon his knife-handle as he approached. Nat looked up and started as he saw his visage fairly gleaming with passion. "'I didn't shoot it, Bill, by thunder,' he expostulated. The face of the trapper changed. It grew paler, and the dark cloud fled from it. He replaced his drawn knife. He believed the words of Nat. Matters were approaching a crisis. The recent startling events had their effect upon us all. The trapper avowed he could not stand such goings-on, and should leave for some other quarters. Little sleep came to Nat at night. His adventure with the savage and the more recent occurrence alarmed him. He had discovered that there were consequences to be feared from both sides. I was still unwilling to believe that there was anything in the events given which would not soon be explained. It was evident our foes were around, and from some inexplicable cause had pursued an unusual course toward us. We had all been exposed to their power, and had yet escaped harmless. 
what was the meaning of this and above all what was the object of the appearance and disappearance of the canoe at the different times mentioned who could be that fair being of whose existence i only was as yet aware these questions prompted only my anxious curiosity and desire to learn more of that mysterious being whom i had now twice seen i ridiculed the ideas of Biddon, and nat strove hard to convince him that he was not afraid Biddon consented to remain until more was learned intimating at the same time that it must be very soon he visited the horses each day and found them undisturbed this however only added to his anxiety had they been gone he would have taken it as convincing evidence that bona fide indians were in the neighborhood the next day after the closing scene of the last chapter nat agreed to accompany me for the last time to the spot where we had seen the canoe the trapper could not be prevailed upon to go affirming that he should probably have his hands full at home it required my utmost skill to succeed with nat as the horror had plainly settled upon him it's awful he said as we started this walking right into danger but i want to see that canoe again and especially that gal and so i'll go and i trust behave yourself you well know nat you fired that shot which came so near ending biddon's life wonder if i did pull the trigger he exclaimed suddenly stopping and looking round at me you know you did and had he known it too it would have been a sorry piece of business for you that temper of his is terrible when it is once excited i remember cocking my gun and kind of pulling the trigger but i didn't mean to pull hard enough to make it go off i suppose not i cannot conceive how Biddon persuaded himself to believe that you did not discharge it when the case was self-evident but he's willing to believe almost anything since he started he shouldn't have gotten before my gun for he knows my hand sometimes trembles i trust you'll be able to control it this time no doubt of that but then i'd advise you as a friend not to get before me especially if you see the canoe coming i assured him that i should not and we kept upon our way upon each of the occasions before as near as i could judge it was about noon that the canoe made its appearance and as it was that time now we hurried forward lest the opportunity should pass the opportunity i say for although it had appeared but twice as yet i somehow or other was well satisfied we should see it again what are you going to do asked nat it will depend upon what we see if simply those two savages with the captive as we judge her to be are in the canoe and no demonstration is made i think it best not to attempt a rescue it is only a supposition of ours that she's a captive and we know not that she would thank us for interfering in her case in a short time we reached the elevation already mentioned here we seated ourselves so as to remain concealed from any stragglers in the vicinity while we ourselves with a little care could detect the slightest object passing as i stooped my hand came in contact with something cold and upon looking at it i saw it covered with dark clotted blood 
I started and wiped it on the grass, but it sent a shudder through me to reflect that it had once been the life fluid of a human being. Ah! exclaimed Nat, ain't that awful? It is disagreeable to say the least. Just look at the blood on the grass, too, and all around. I believe Bill must have hit a half-dozen engines, sure, the way things appear here. He must have wounded one terribly to make him bleed like this, and if he had been a flesh-and-blood engine he would have never tramped in that manner. I tell you, William Relmond, there is something more than human about us. I can feel it in my bones, and I am of Bidden's opinion that the sooner we get away from here the better. Fudge, I see you are beginning to get alarmed. Oh, no, you are mistaken. I am not frightened at all. For Bidden's sake, but more especially for yours, I am anxious. If you are desirous of remaining hereabouts, and will take all the consequences, I will make no objections. Of course, if I run into danger of my own accord, I expect that I alone will suffer the penalty. Then we needn't say anything more about it. You know, we pledged ourselves to remain true to each other, and I won't desert you. That's well spoken, Nat. The minute I am satisfied that our lives are imperiled, I shall not be the means of prolonging that peril a moment. It is only this great desire to solve and understand the singular occurrences that are transpiring around us that leads me to still remain. I have determined that today we shall all be satisfied. My curiosity is extraordinarily high, but I guess that gal has as much to do with it as anything else. I'm determined to get a glimpse of her face, and if possible whisper in her ear that Nat Todd from Maine is about. I flatter myself that the minute she knows that, she will jump overboard and make for shore without saying a word to the chaps with her. The greatest difficulty, I fear, will be to convey your words to the captive without conveying it also to her captors. I swear it would be harder than I thought at first. During this conversation, which was carried on in a half-whisper, Nat was constantly parting the bushes and peering through them, while now and then I glanced expectantly up the stream, but nothing as yet had rewarded our watchfulness. Suddenly I reflected that as I had been twice defeated in observing the disappearance of the canoe from the exact spot upon which we were now seated, that we might make a better arrangement of ourselves so as to ensure this coveted knowledge to one of us at least. I mentioned this to Nat. If one of us was on t'other side, the thing would be certain, but that can't be done very conveniently, and we shall have to try something else. Suppose you go downstream about a hundred yards near the bend yonder, I proposed to Nat. Guess I will, he exclaimed as he rose to go. Let me admonish you to exercise no ordinary caution, Nat, for you have seen enough to convince you that your own safety depends upon it. Remember that a word or false movement, however slight, may defeat our plans. Look out for danger to yourself and not let your curiosity be the means of your destruction. Be very careful. I know not what led me to thus warn him, but at the moment he arose to go, an unaccountable sense of impending danger came over me. 
it was not so much for me as for him i spoke thus he promised to heed my words and departed as soon as he had disappeared i cast another look upstream but still there were no signs of the expected canoe and a sudden apprehension that i should not see it again came over me there was in fact as much reason not to expect it as to anticipate its coming and as i looked up at the sun and saw that it was already beyond the hour i was half tempted to turn back while i was debating i naturally looked up the river and there just rounding the bend where the canoe had first come into view before and there it was coming quivering with agitation i sank upon the ground and gave a low whistle as a signal to nat he returned it as an evidence of his watchfulness i saw from that point where i was seated the view would be most obstructed when the canoe was nearest accordingly i crept cautiously and quickly nearer the water's edge this time however i slightly varied my course and concealed myself behind the trunk of a fallen tree this was within a yard of the water and afforded complete concealment i noticed the log was rotten and apparently hollow here i lay and intently listened and watched a few moments and an almost inaudible ripple was heard and the canoe was opposite i exercised the most extreme caution and was fortunate enough to obtain a perfect view of each of the occupants they were the same the dark malignant faces of the savages and the fair features of the captive she sat in the stern her hand resting gently upon a guiding oar and her gaze fixed upon the stream in front the canoe floated with the current and not a paddle was stirred nor the least motion made by the beings before me the headdress of the captive was as mentioned before eagle feathers and porcupine quills while the dark waving masses of hair hung low upon her shoulders contrasting with the whiteness of the face a heavy crimson shawl enveloped the form as when first seen the features were regular and perhaps in my state of feeling their beauty was considerably enhanced but the thought came upon me that if there were anything supernatural in my experience it was in seeing such wonderful beauty as was now before me unconsciously i forgot myself as the canoe was gliding past and before i was aware it was hid from view by intervening obstacles i withdrew hastily intending to hurry farther down where the view would be more complete I had taken but a step or two when Nat's rifle was discharged, and I heard distinctly a muffled sound of his voice. Wild with agitation, I dashed to the spot where I supposed him to be. The view of the river at this point was clear, and I turned to look at the canoe. It had vanished. I looked around for Nat, but he too was gone. I called him, and once thought I heard a faint answer. But it was not repeated and i could not tell its direction i reached the ground and beheld the tracks of others beside his own i awaited until near night but nathan todd was never to return end of chapter six